0: going to jump into the scriptures we're in Romans chapter 4 uh, starting as of last week we're back into the book of Romans we're now starting chapter 4 verses 1 through 12 we looked at the righteousness of God that comes by faith and so he's going to now defend that position that we are justified we are declared righteous by faith alone sola fide it's what faith is the means by which we receive the grace of God that saves us his righteousness that which makes us right in his eyes and the way paul does that here is he goes back to the beginning Um, there's no stronger way in sort of the jewish uh, old testament time their first century to make an argument than to go to the torah stronger than going to the prophets or going to the psalms or something like that and if you're going to go to the torah there's no stronger way to make an argument than to go to genesis because that's the beginning And if you're going to go to Genesis, there's no stronger way to make an argument than to go to Abraham. Because he is the beginning. He is the start, really, of the Jewish people. He was a Semite. Uh, He wasn't an Israelite because he precedes Israelites. It's it's actually his great-grandchildren who become the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob. He's a Semite from the line of Shem, sort of a nomad in The desert. These are the earliest times of human history. It would be similar, I suppose, if you wanted to make an argument for the United States, going back to the founding fathers. What did Adams? What did Jefferson say about something? Um, Or really, most importantly, go to George Washington. Right? If you can prove it by George Washington, you kind of make a pretty solid argument about the United States. Um, I don't know if you know this, but First Baptist, we have actually have a connection. To George Washington. Um, It's pretty neat, actually. So uh, it's found in the journals of Hezekiah Smith. He was our first pastor, the founding pastor of this church in 1765. He was sent off to the Revolutionary War, the the War of Independence. And as a chaplain, he ministered to the troops. And he writes in his journals in two different places. This is August 2nd, 1778. Um, I preached a sermon to our brigade from Malachi 2.5. His Excellency General Washington attended. I dined with him the same day. Pretty neat, right? And then November 1st, 1779, dined with General Washington, tarried that night with Chaplain Avery, and next day went to Fishkill and visited the sick. But when you look at Abraham, when it comes to salvation history, when it comes to the scripture, there's no more foundational figure. How was Abraham saved? How did he get declared righteous? How did he get into a right standing before God? And Paul the Apostle here, like a rabbi, makes the case, lays before the Romans the key argument, a key argument for justification by faith alone. Look with me in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. It'll be up on the screen, or there's a pew, uh, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Or if you brought your own Bible, read from there too. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, Or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. While he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord and may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and study and application of his word this morning. Here's where we're going. Justification by faith is in the Hebrew Bible. It's in the Old Testament verses 1 through 3. Justification by faith is a gift and a blessing. Verses 4 through 8, and then finally 9 through 12, justification by faith comes before ceremony. We'll get to that in just a bit. So first we see that it's taught throughout the Bible from beginning to end. Paul goes back to Abraham. What then should we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So if he's addressing mainly the Jewish sort of uh, Christians in the church in Rome. By the way, there um, was a mixture of Jew and Gentile in the church. He's their forefather according to the flesh. There's a direct descendant, uh, a direct line, uh, DNA line, genetic line, for the Jews there in the first century to Abraham and to Jewish people today, all the way back to Abraham. If Abraham was justified by works then he would have something to boast about. Remember, in the previous section, he had just said, there's no bragging, there's no boasting anymore. But if Abraham could say, hey, I was, I was declared righteous by what I did, by being such a good person, by obeying the Torah, by being circumcised or whatnot, then he has something to brag about. But I, know, I like how Paul adds in verse 2, but not before God. So uh, God is still ultimate, infinitely greater than anyone, even if you could be purely righteous and without sin, You still can't brag before God. God is still the Almighty. But he says, let's look at the scriptures. And he points to Genesis and quotes directly from the Torah. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Clear as crystal. His righteousness is counted to him by his faith. Justified, of course, means to count righteous to declare righteous doesn't mean to become righteous in practice as you can see right here from the quote from the Torah his faith leads to an accounting it sort of comes from the legal world to be declared innocent to be declared not guilty why Abraham as I mentioned he's sort of a foundational figure interestingly enough he's a foundational figure in pretty much all monotheistic religion let's put it that way um, if you don't know this, of course the Jewish people look back to Abraham as the, the father of their faith. Uh, Abraham's son is Isaac. Then it goes to Jacob, and Jacob's sons of the twelve tribes that make up all of Israel. Abraham is central. The Arabs and Muslims look to Abraham as a central figure. I don't know if you know this, but the Koran uh, sort of reinterprets the Torah and says that Abraham's other son, Ishmael, sort of the father of the Arabs, He is the foundational, he's the promised son, but even still, they would look to Abraham as that central figure, and of course, Christians, we also, uh, because of his example of faith um, and his salvation by faith alone here, we look to Abraham, so most of religion today, well more than half of of people in the world, would look to, because it's 33% Christian and just under thirty percent Muslim, the world is. So most of the people in the world would look to Abraham as the central figure. He's also a central figure in the Bible. Again, before Israel, he's the start of the patriarchs. He fathers Isaac and ultimately Jacob and the tribes. He's the he's an ultimate example of faith in the Bible. Um, God, God commands him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, now, people, I've had debates with people, I mean, how could God ever command something like that? Well, keep in mind, God never actually allows him to follow through with it. Uh, It's a test. Said that right from the beginning. He's testing Abraham, and he stops Abraham before he does it. But Abraham demonstrates his faith by his willingness to give up what is most dear to himself, his only son, Isaac. His only son by his wife, Sarah. Um, Interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, but the place where Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac is Mount Moriah. Um, If you don't know where Mount Moriah is, it's the Temple Mount. It's the place where sacrifices went on for centuries and centuries afterwards. His second Chronicles 3.1, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father. The very place where God would command sacrifice to take place for Israel for centuries and centuries, it's the very place that Abraham was willing to give up what is most dear to him. And if you don't know the story, there's the ram caught in the thicket. The ram gets sacrificed in the place of Isaac. A clear example of substitutionary sacrifice and atonement. A lot of people look to Abraham as the start of missions. Chapter 12, verse 1. God commands Abraham to leave his country and his people and his father's house and go to a foreign land and there I'm going to make you a blessing by bringing the good news, by bringing the the very presence of God and the teaching about who he is. Um, That's missions, right? When we think of global missions, the start of missions a lot of people look to is chapter 12, verse 1, the example of Abraham, that his descendants would be as many as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And no doubt, many, many look back to Abraham both, again, genetically, but also as an example of faith. And what do we have here? A clear, without question, example that Abraham was justified by faith and not by works. Abraham believed God before he had truly obeyed the Lord, <laughs> before he had offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice, before he was circumcised, and it's his faith that is accounted to him as righteous. Friends, I would just encourage you, before we move on to the next section, um, study your Bible. <laughs> it's, so, it's so rich when you begin to see this popping up everywhere, that God in his mercy and grace saves us through faith. The clearer uh, we, the sal- salvation by grace alone comes, the more we study his word. Maybe one of your New Year's resolutions is to read through the Bible in a year. Uh, If that's your New Year's resolution, that's a great one. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read through the Bible cover to cover. Um, I wouldn't necessarily start with Genesis and try to read through the whole Bible. um, Because people run into what is called the Levitical problem. Um, it has nothing to do with uh, uh, you know, any issues with Leviticus other than you start reading about sacrifice after sacrifice and chronologies and genealogies and you start to say, what am I doing? So uh, they have all these great Bible reading plans where you read some of the old, some of the new, you ju- read some of the Torah, some of the prophets, some of the letters, and you bounce around. You can find tons of them online. Um, one that I would recommend is McShane's, for example. Um, so read through the Bible, see justification by faith. Maybe uh, you you just read a couple chapters a day. chapter of the old, a chapter of the new. Start somewhere. Uh, Family devotional. Sit down with your kids if they're young and they're still in the home. Study the scriptures together. Maybe this is a year for you to join a community group. Um, That's one of our steps of discipleship. right? You come to church. You become a member. You get involved into a small group of some sort. Uh, That's sort of the way you're going to go deeper. It's where you receive accountability and encouragement in the gospel. Or maybe for you personally, um, it's time to go a little deeper in your faith, jumping into a commentary, maybe reading more theology, learning a little bit more about church history. Such richness there. Remember uh, Rich Perron was telling me he was studying church history really and it was just so eye-opening how much he was learning from church history. May this be the year that you go deeper in understanding your faith. But as he continues in verses four through eight, justification by faith is a gift. It's a gift and it's a blessing. Uh, As he says in verse four, to the one who works, it's it's not a gift. To the one who works, it's a wage. It's your due. Work means pay. You, You you put in, you do your work, you do a job, you get paid for that job. He says, But to the one who doesn't work and simply believes God, then it's not a wage. It's not a payment for what he's done or she's done. It's a gift. The faith, his faith for Abraham was counted as righteousness. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He didn't labor for it. It's not a payment. It comes as a gift. And he quotes another foundational figure, David, uh, who the first king of Israel's history, who says in the Psalms, blessed is the one who is forgiven. Blessed is the one whom the Lord doesn't count their sin against it's the difference between having a job and getting a present, right? Those are very different things. We know that. Um, nothing wrong with uh, having a job, of course. Uh, actually, this big if you can see in the statistics, people don't want to work during the COVID era. It's a big issue. A lot of companies can't find workers. Bible commends work. Work is a good thing. In fact, the Bible, uh, right later on in Romans, he describes all of these workers for the Lord, those who worked hard for the Lord. Work gives us a sense of purpose. Friends, if I had unlimited amount, an unlimited amount of money, which I don't, <laughs> but I would still be your pastor. <laughs> um, I, I, need a, I need a paycheck to support my family right now, but if I didn't, I would still minister here as your pastor. However, our salvation is not like having a job. It's like getting a present. The work comes after. Right? And this work to do for the kingdom uh, we talked about the Pregnancy Care Center, lives being transformed, people being saved. One of the most powerful moments for me as a pastor was when there was a young lady who came in uh, asking for advice about abortion, and I counseled her against it. She later on told me, she said, Pastor, if you had just given me even a tiny window, even just a, well, you've got to do what you've got to do, anything, I was going, I was heading to the abortion clinic. And later on she brings in this baby and says this child is alive because of you. There's work to be done. There's missions to be done. right? The, the world has to be reached for Christ. We've got to send our missionaries. That's why Pastor Mike has transitioned to the pastor for missions and, and community outreach because there's work to be done. There's a job that needs to be done. But our salvation takes no labor. No effort, no sweat, no busyness, no work. It's more like receiving a good gift. The greatest gift, actually. It's a whole different situation. Um, When I was, this shows how much of a geek I am, just by the way. Uh, When I was dating a young lady named Jessica, uh, one Christmas she gave me a whole set of Calvin's commentaries on the Bible. And that's how I knew this is the one. This is the one, right? So, but I got a good gift for her this year on Christmas. Um, I got her coal. Um, I said, I told her, I said, I'm going to get you coal. I really am going to get you coal. I'm not lying. I'm getting you coal. And then she opened up uh, her present and it was a set of diamond earrings. So pressurized coal, right? That's what I said. I didn't lie. I got her coal, right? When we receive the gift of salvation, we don't earn it. We don't work for it. There's no sweat and labor. It's a gift. This is what justification means. It means this, that the Bible is full of sinners. And that's all there is outside of Jesus. We talked about Abraham being this foundational figure. Read the story of Abraham. There's a lot of good to be commented about Abraham. But Abraham was a liar and a coward. He told his wife to claim to be his sister because he was afraid that people would kill him to steal his wife. And because of his lie and his cowardice, on two occasions somebody took his sister and married her (laughs) until they figured out what was really going on. David, for all that can be said about David, is an adulterer and a murderer. Committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband, when he got her pregnant had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed to cover it up. In fact, if you go through the Bible, no one is righteous. Every person, every great hero of the faith, you'll find, men and women, are going to have more than shortcomings. They're going to be depraved. There's no one righteous until you come to Jesus. And you find one who loves perfectly, who obeys his father perfectly, whose whole life is a service and ultimately a sacrifice in our place. Justification means we're sinners. We can't save ourselves. We need one to rescue us. There's two sides to it, and you see it right here in the text. First is forgiveness of sins. Uh, In order to be righteous, you need to have your sins wiped away, your sins forgiven. Um, There's a ledger of debts. There's a history of our sin. What happens to that? It has to be wiped clean. And through Christ, our sins are paid for. But even if you just paid for your past sins, that would just give you neutrality, right? You would just be even. That doesn't save you either. But God does more than that. He grants us his righteousness. He declares us, not on the negative, not in the even, but in the positive. We get the very righteousness of Christ. This is called double imputation. Not that you have to memorize that term, but... God takes our sin and puts it on Jesus. He takes his righteousness and puts it on us. And it comes as a gift. Friends, an enormous blessing. This is how much we need God. Martin Luther said, Whilst a man is persuaded that he has it in his power to contribute anything, be it ever so little, to his salvation, he remains in carnal self-confidence he is not a self-despairer, and therefore is not duly humbled before God. He believes he may lend a helping hand in his salvation. But on the contrary, whoever is truly convinced that the, work, the whole work depends singly on the will of God, such a person renounces his own will and strength, and he waits and he prays for the operation of God, trusting that God is the one who saves. And then 9 to 12, Justification by faith comes before ceremony. For ceremony. This may seem like a sort of a theological debate that doesn't have much application, but let's jump into it here. He talks about circumcision. He says, Is this blessing, is this righteousness only for the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? And again, he looks at Abraham. By the way, circumcision is the oldest. Uh, planned surgical procedure in human history. It's actually uh, dated to be about about 15,000 years old. Did you know that? Uh, Pre-dating recorded history. Abraham was not not the first person circumcised. Obviously, when God commands it, he knew what it was. It was around from place to place. Uh, We're not exactly sure why it started as a practice, but it did. And God uses it as a seal and a sign for his people. As it says here, it wasn't before. I'm sorry, he wasn't circumcised. He was declared righteous before he was circumcised. The circumcision came later. So it wasn't the ceremony itself that earns him righteousness. So that Abraham, as he says here, would be the father of all who believe without circumcision and the father of all who believe and are circumcised, who walk in the footsteps of faith. Circumcision becomes that central ceremony, ritual, practice, perhaps the most important practice in Israel's history. It's commanded by God, it's good, but it does not save. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, here's one reason Uh, there's a connection often made between baptism and circumcision. Many, many people have made that connection over church history. Uh, And there is a connection. Uh, both are the sign of the covenant. Both are commanded by God. Uh, they both seal the righteousness that God bestows. They're both good. But there are also some major differences. Circumcision, of course, is for males only, by the very definition of it. It represents an ethnic connection, even in the very sign and where the sign takes place. It shows it has to do with progeny, it's a connection of the nationality of Israel. And circumcision was meant for infants because it was connected to the ethnic sign. The difference then for baptism is baptism is for everybody, it's for male and female. Its symbolism is different. It's not about that ethnic connection, it's about a conversion, a changing from one thing to another. It's about a death to the old self, a burial under the baptismal waters, and a resurrection to something new, to a resurrection, to a unity with Christ. It's about a cleansing from sin. And it comes after that profession of faith. When we say, my faith, my trust is in Christ, baptism follows. But here's the thing, neither one of them saves. Some traditions claim that baptism, the act itself, has something to do with saving us. That, that it sort of wipes away actual sin. It works what's sometimes called ex operate operato, from the very work It performs something. It falls into the same trap that we see here. Circumcision can do nothing to save. Baptism does nothing to save. But it is the sign and the seal of what God does. Our salvation comes by faith and faith alone. Uh, Ceremony isn't bad. It it just can't save us. As I said before, you can't avoid ceremony. Uh, Some churches say, well, we don't do any ceremonies in our church. We don't have any liturgy. Okay, what do you do when you meet? We just sit around a table, and then we open in prayer, and then we share a meal, and then we talk about the Bible, and then we close in prayer, and then we spend some time fellowship. Okay, tell me again the order that you do that. (laughs) That's your liturgy. That's your ceremony. That's how you go about it. We baptize and we take communion. How do you do that? The way you do that is your ceremony, is your liturgy. Think through it carefully, biblically. What is the right approach? You can't avoid ceremony, but the ceremony does nothing to save us. I think the the perfect example of this is the thief on the cross. Everybody knows the story, right? Two men were crucified with Jesus, one on each side. One of them hurls insults and never comes to repentance. The other one begins by hurling insults, but then comes to conviction, repentance, and faith. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Was the thief on the cross baptized? Of course not. (laughs) He didn't have any time to be baptized. How many times did the thief on the cross take communion? (laughs) Zero, right? Uh, Was he a member of a local church? Did he help out in a soup kitchen? Uh, He did nothing but believe. And Jesus promises today, you'll be with me in paradise. Salvation is by faith alone. Churches have debated different practices and it's wise to think through them biblically. Um, There's been sort of questions about what what do we include in a worship service? What do we not include? I think I kind of lean to the idea that there's a lot more freedom on that as long as it's good for the edification and building up of God's people. But in some ways, let's remind ourselves of the most important point, none of it saves. That salvation comes through faith and faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. We see that consistent through the entire Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, into the New Testament. Justification by faith alone is a gift, an enormous blessing. And justification by faith comes before ceremony. I mentioned uh, George Washington in the beginning as a foundational figure for our country. I'm not sure where George Washington was in terms of his faith. He was Anglican. But he did say this. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. And I would just sort of redefine, tweak what he had to say a little bit there. It's not just religion broadly. It's salvation in Christ. Morality can't actually get us there. But God gets us there through faith. He makes us his own. He sets us right before God. And what follows is a life seeking to please our Heavenly Father. Friends, when something is precious, when something is valuable, you want to guard it. I don't know if you know this. Our church has a vault. They have a vault in the basement. Uh, Don't get too exciting. There's nothing in it. (laughs) <laughs> there used to be back in the day. If you have something very, very valuable, you keep it in a safe in your home, a fireproof safe. If something is valuable in a broader sense, you keep it in a museum, maybe behind thick glass. This is the most precious, valuable thing we have as Christians. It is through faith and faith alone that we are justified, declared righteous, set right before God. Let's keep guarding that message. (laughs) Let's protect it. Let's make sure that our church holds firmly and strongly to the message that saves, that Jesus is the one who redeems sinners, not by our works and not by ceremony, but through simple faith. Would you pray with me? gracious father thank you so much for the wonderful good news of the gospel i just wonder if anyone maybe some watching online maybe some here present um, this is new this is fresh to realize that salvation is so freely given by you that it comes as a mere gift something that not only should it be earned but could it be earned not with 10,000 lives of seeking righteousness. would mess up every one of them in our sin. But a present, an undeserved gift. And maybe there are some here, Lord, who have not yet received that gift. Help them to reach out through prayer, through faith, through trust in you. You welcome them. You call them to yourself. And for all those who are holding on to this message, who are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, help us to guard it, help us to protect it, help us to hold on to it, help us as a church, Lord, to continue to proclaim this good news, that you have made us your very own, just as you did thousands and thousands of years ago with Abraham, who believed God, and it was counted as righteousness, just as you did with David, the first king, who enjoyed the blessings of forgiveness whose sins were not counted against them. Just as Paul the Apostle, who lived a life of murderous rebellion and um, seeking to persecute your church, came to redeeming faith. And just as you are doing around the world today, you have made us your very own. And our hope, our trust is in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.